In this episode of Decoding Sales, we're going to talk about navigating stakeholders, the people who matter in a deal, and particularly how to find a sponsor, the person who has the juice to make things happen. This can be really tough when you're working with another organization, you don't have their org chart. So how do you do it? We're going to talk about how do you find the sponsor? How do you make sure you're really talking to the right person and the right group of people? And what to do if you think you might not be? My name's Alex Lane, and I'm the engineer. And I'm Peter On. I am the salesperson. So, you know, Peter, maybe to kick things off, frame this up a little bit. Like, one of the things that I'm used to as an engineer is I can look at an org chart and figure out, oh, yeah, I need to work with this team. This is their manager. I can probably find the PM. And now I'm kind of like, cool, these are the people I should go to talk to. I know it's not quite that simple, but that's kind of what it's like. And so I, I think engineers, almost everyone gets this concept that you need to find the right person to talk to. But what's really magical about talking to you about the sales process, like, how do you do that when you, when the whole thing is just a black box and you got this other person on the end of the line? Yeah, I think there's so many ways to do it. And, and the fact that you already know that you need to mentally at least map out an org chart is getting us halfway there. But oftentimes you don't get that. And oftentimes org charts are nuanced. Stakeholders and champions in a deal end up potentially not being what the org chart ends up conveying. So I always like to start, you know, in a conversation, especially when it gets to the point of like, okay, like I'm thinking mentally, is this the right person to work with? I just ask directly, hey, Alex, you know, you seem to know a lot about the organization. You seem to know a lot about the team. Ultimately, I want to make sure this deal or this partnership moves along smoothly. Will you be the one shepherding us through this? Or is there somebody else on your team that we should also include? You know, that's essentially the same question as what is your org chart, but it doesn't come off as brash as that, or it doesn't come off as unprofessional. And sometimes asking for org charts can come off as condescending too. I've even had people on my team ask me, hey, Peter, can I just ask this person if they're senior enough to lead this project? And I'm like, no, 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 do not do that. I know that's what you're thinking, but that's going to take the relationship in a totally new direction, right? But if you do think that person is junior, there are ways that you can ask how you involve the right person. You know, there's ways that you can say, hey, listen, again, like I use the phrase, you seem to know a lot about the company. Thank you for all the context. You're sharing a lot. This just helps me put a mental map together around how this partnership can go. Out of curiosity, who do you report to? And does that person also need to be involved? I just want to make sure I have a clear sense for who I need to involve on my side as well. Yeah. So I got to imagine that sometimes you're dealing with folks on the other end who think they have the authority, but don't. Yeah. Or who might actually have some of the authority, but not all of the authority. Happens all the time, right? And people have pride. But in the case where that happens with somebody who doesn't have any authority, I like to always put markers together to mentally keep track of whether or not my champion is who he or she says she is. I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody's like, hey, Peter, I'm the executive sponsor, I'm the one who's going to sign the contract. You know, you don't wait until that person signs the contract to figure out if that's the person. What you do is you put together a three strikes rule where you track whether or not that person is actually doing the things that he or she needs to to get to that signature. So the first tracker could be very simple. It could be, hey, you know, when should we next follow up? And if the person's like, hey, next week is a good time for that because I'm going to corral together my team and we're going to come to a decision point around whether or not these evaluation factors are important to us, then you say, okay, great. I'll follow up with you next Thursday 
and we'll put together a game plan as to what your internal feedback was and if we're going to move forward. Now, if Thursday rolls around and that person doesn't get back to you or that person goes silent for another week, that's one strike already. That person has committed something to you, but they're not doing what you both agreed on. And then you follow those kind of markers. The second marker could be once they actually say the team's aligned and they say, now we need to do a security review. In a given time frame, does that person actually help you facilitate that security review in the time frame that he or she said? Now, there's all sorts of nuanced processes that go on that you don't have control over and that your stakeholder also doesn't have control over. As long as that person's communicating with you that that's happening, that's fine. But if you're putting together these markers that are consistently missed or you feel like your stakeholder has a warped sense for how decisions are actually made, you need to keep track of that and then ultimately come to the conclusion of whether or not this person actually is the one that you want to work with through the duration of the deal. Now, that's really helpful. I guess what you're really saying is you have some intuition for like the, the kind of ways that somebody without the sort of juice to get the job done is going to trip when they're trying to get the job done. And if you start to see some of those like subtle cues, you're sort of mentally readjusting. So I guess that kind of leads to two questions. Like one is, you know, what are some of those clues? I mean, you talk about a few of them, like they're not following up with you. They're not able to get the right people on the line. Like, are there any other hints that somebody like might be not the decision maker? Yeah, I mean, especially in large organizations and even in small companies, I would say, if that person is consistently not involving anyone else except themselves, that's a red flag to me. Because in the modern age, decisions are consensus driven. You can't unilaterally make decisions. So if this person is getting on the phone with you, talks about other people, maybe peripherally, but never involves them in the deal, I would continue to stress test and ask them, hey, you mentioned there is a security engineer. You mentioned there's a CEO. You mentioned your direct reports also need to give sign off. At what point do we involve them, right? The question isn't, why haven't I talked to these folks? You know, that's a little combative. But the question is, at what point do we talk to them? Because I just want to make sure there's no surprises. And I appreciate you doing a lot of the internal socializing, but I love the opportunity also to just show your reports directly, the power of the platform. So those are, I think, ways that that you can, you know, those are questions that you can employ to figure those things out. So that's one thing, like if people aren't involving other teammates, you, you ask if there are other things. I think, you know, basics around just communication. I take a look at the gaps in communication, why they're happening. Promises are made from the buyer side all the time. And it's just really important for you to keep inventory of those promises because if they're broken, it's time for you to eject or push back on working with someone else. I really like that broken promises inventory. You know, now I'm thinking about all the time they interact with the salesperson. I'm like, wow, I'm being judged. You know, <laughs> am I fulfilling my end of the deal? Yeah, a little bit. And like, I think it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing, right? Because both sides should be held accountable. The salespeople that you've worked with, they're spending a lot of time trying to get you something. So they need to understand they're getting something in return because their time is is worth a lot to them. Time is money, right? Classic, classic wisdom. So, okay. So like broken promises, kind of lack of follow through, not including the right people, any other superpower clues that are maybe next level tricks that you use? Yeah, I mean, I think 
is it's just pattern matching at the end of the day, right? And pattern matching across a series of calls and interactions. If somebody says one thing on the first call and then on the second call, the direction changes, that's also something you should dig into. You know, hey, on the first call, Alex, you said security wasn't going to be an issue, that our SOC 2 report was going to be enough for you to go through the, the review. But now I'm hearing that we need to have two more conversations, one involving this NISO. So I guess like what's changed from the first conversation to the second? And so that's also, I like how you said superpower. It's more like being able to pattern match across a series of events. And when you feel like the pattern isn't matching, what do you do to bring that up? Because oftentimes it's easier just to not bring those conflict points up to, to use a concept that we talked about in the first episode. But you absolutely need to. Whenever there's something that alerts your spidey senses, you need to have the right phrasing to bring that up. If you are able to do it in a way where you're genuinely using objective facts and things that were said to bring those up, I think it can work well and effectively to keep the deal on track. So that, that's really helpful. And you know, now I'm sort of imagining, I imagine a lot of people will, listening to this, usually have some intuition. And now you've given some words that they can attach to their intuition and say, ah, these are the broken promises or why I'm feeling anxious about this. It might not be a sales deal. It could just be any human interaction. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe I, I'm working with this other group and I keep talking to the same person and it doesn't feel like it's moving quite as much as it should. And maybe it really is just because there, there are people who need to be involved. But then how do you fix it? Yeah. I mean, I think the way you fix it is to propose another step forward or to propose another timeline, a mini timeline or a micro contract that they can actually abide to. So let me give you an example of that. And, and you know, you, you use a lot of interesting things right now. You use a lot of phrases. Oftentimes when I'm talking internally with salespeople and they ask, hey, how do I actually phrase whether or not I'm being crazy or whether or not I'm, you know, seeing the same things as the, as the prospect is, I often say, hey, just use those words actually. Like, so here's how that could sound, right? It could be like, hey, Alex, listen, like, tell me if I'm crazy or if I'm off base. <laughs> tell me if I'm thinking about this in the wrong way. But we did agree on talking to the team two weeks ago. And so that makes me a little bit nervous. My intuition tells me that the team maybe hasn't yet heard about the platform. Is that the case? And that answer has to be very truthful, right? Because you're pouring out your emotions, you're pouring out your intuition, they have to do the same thing, right? So your original question was, how do you fix it? From that point on, when they do admit that, okay, things have gotten off track a little bit, at that point, I like to use this phrase, how about this? Because it sounds like you're inviting collaboration. Hey, how about this, Alex? Since the original plan didn't work, what if we set a goal of getting in touch with your team next week at some point? Let me know what will work. But you know, I, I'd love it if you could be around whether or not this can indeed work. And once we facilitate that meeting, let's see if we can do the security review soon after. I know originally we were going to get that done this week, but let's see if we can get that done the following week. So I'm happy to readjust the timing of this because I'm sure there's a lot going on on your end. But if we could abide by this new time frame, that would really help me. And if not, you know, maybe it's best if we just revisit this in a few weeks because I don't want to have to continually go back to my leadership team or my product team or my engineering team and say that the goalpost has moved. So, I, I, you know, I'm kind of sitting here 
listening to this and thinking, well, this this will work really well if this is the right stakeholder and maybe there's just something going going a little wrong. But but what if it really is just the wrong stakeholder? How do you how do you kind of like transition to the right stakeholder in a situation where they're they're on strike three? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's the wrong stakeholder, first of all, you'll get a sense from those answers. If people are able to answer those questions in a confident way, you can use your intuition to say, okay, I think this person still is the right stakeholder, but they just don't have the time, right? But to your point, if they really are somebody who can't move mountains for you in an enterprise deal, I would actually say, hey, instead of us talking directly, could I actually involve your CIO? Or could we actually have a conversation with you, me, and your managers so that we're all on the same page? By the way, I'm not saying this because I want to go over your head. That's not the intention here. But I am getting pressure from my side to get some tangible answers to the partnership that we're working on. By the way, I'm also happy to include my leadership as well, if that'll help. But I think getting both sides aligned will be super helpful for both of us. So, you know, the way that I painted that is I even said what probably the other person would be thinking in their head. I don't know if you like noticed this, but I said, I don't want to go over your head because anytime you try and go over somebody's head, that's what they're going to be thinking. So you have to flat out. And I think in the first episode, you'd said you need to address the nut of the issue. The nut of the issue here when you're trying to go over somebody's head is that you're trying to go over somebody's head. <laughs> so you need to you need to be able to say, hey, I don't want to go over your head, but we haven't made any progress. Would you agree? And in that scenario, it's, I think it goes beyond me. It goes beyond you. I do think it'll help if both leadership teams align. And if you think it's still inappropriate to involve your leadership, then maybe we just revisit this because I'm sure your manager has higher priorities. And I'd just rather not waste your time on something that might not be on his or her radar. You know, like what person is going to say to that, hey, you're being unreasonable? Because I've just explained not only the context as to why I'm asking to go over your head, but I'm also saying I don't want to do that, but I'm at my last resort here. Yeah, I really like the way that you offer, hey, we can pull in my leadership as well. So it feels like this isn't about me going over your head. It's about let's get the right people in the room. And I say, you know, like it'll just make both of our lives easier, right? Like that person probably doesn't want to waste time on a call that's not going anywhere either. So I think psychologically, I try to get on their level too and think from their point of view and get their buy-in, right? This is another mini contract. It's like, do you agree that you also don't want to waste time? It's like, I don't want to waste your time either. I don't think it behooves us to have another. We've already had three weeks of conversation. Like, I'm sure you have other things you'd rather do, Alex, than just get on the phone with me, even though hopefully you like me. (laughs) But I think from an efficiency standpoint, we should just understand how to move this forward. And I would love your help in that. That's the other thing I do is like, I would love your help. I would love for us to work together. It's a collaboration. It's not a one way I'm telling you to do something. It's just the, hey, I'm trying to like appeal to your rationale and your senses to make this move a little bit faster than it has. So Peter, one, one other thing I'm, I'm curious about, you know, we, we talked a lot about stakeholders who are decision makers. One thing I've kind of observed is, you know, you have the people who can make the decision, but you also have the people who are implementing the decision on the ground. And maybe in the context of some of the work we did in the past together, on the sales side, you might have been the, the decision maker from the Dropbox side making the deal. But I think you did a really good job of like bringing me along and the engineering team along as well. How do you think about that on the other side when you're working with a, you know another company you're trying to sell to? Yeah, I think that 
on the other side, it's the same thing, right? It's not a unilateral decision, especially in an enterprise organization. So a lot of what I tried to do is elevate the stories of people using Dropbox to the decision maker. Nobody, no decision maker has enough time to uncover their own stories about a platform because usually you're making decisions with several platforms. So I was literally running around New York, LA, wherever the NBC offices were, trying to document the stories as to why people love Dropbox and why the VP of entertainment loved it differently from the way the producers at Saturday Night Live loved it. And what I would do is literally just condense those stories into a presentation and tell the decision makers, the VP of collaboration, hey, this is why Saturday Night Live loves Dropbox. And then this is why the folks who are producing on the lot love Dropbox as well. I think that we really have something here that could help you in terms of making the decision because I've collected all those stories. And, and hopefully, if you want, you could you know, reference them. They're more than happy to speak to you directly. But, you know, I think there's something special here in the stories that I've gathered. And using those stories to help your decision maker is great because you're saving them time, but you're also providing a level of authenticity of the actual usage of the technology you're, you're selling versus just focusing on the collateral and the emails and the pitches and the roadmap stories that, that you've been telling all this time. Oh, that's great. Well, Peter, I think we're about at time. Let's wrap this up for our listeners. Any parting words of wisdom on how to find and cultivate the right stakeholders? Yeah, I mean, I think connecting the dots for the company that you're trying to sell to is super important. And I think the one thing I would keep in mind is in order to do that, you have to ask a lot of hard questions. You have a lot of these micro contract moments where the prospect needs to follow through for you. And so don't shy away from those conversations and don't be afraid to think out loud and say, Hey, am I off base here? Am I crazy? My intuition tells me that this isn't moving the way that we had both hoped. So can we realign? I think being honest about that and transparent about that is, is a super powerful concept. I guess it comes back to what we talked about before, accelerating the conflict and bringing it to the foreground and then diffusing it or, recognizing it's insurmountable. Exactly. And I have a feeling we'll continue to talk about it in future episodes.